She said, that's one Harry Potter. (laughs) 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 Awesome. Welcome to Screen Fix, another episode. I am your host, JC. I am here with my wonderful, wonderful co-hosts that quite honestly carry the show. Here, (laughs) Here is... One, please say hello, Katie the Lady One. <laughs> Hi, everybody. And here's the other one, the Mystery Mustachio. The other one. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> Glad to have you. Anyway, uh, why don't you tell everybody uh, about your uh, weekends or what you did in the past week? Did you do anything movie or film related? Or maybe you uh, whittled a stork out of a piece of driftwood. I don't know. <laughs> what did you do, Lady One? I saw Black Panther. Who didn't? I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody didn't go. Like, it's on track to have a huge, 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 huge opening weekend. I'm so pumped. It was so good. I can't wait till we talk about it next week. They're saying uh, for the four-day President's Day weekend, it's going to have, it's going to make somewhere like $222 million. Mm-hmm. And just for the three-day weekend, it's supposed to make something like 190 about. Yes, Nice. Completely blowing away Deadpool's February record. Yes. Yeah. It's incredible. Wow. You really liked it, Lady Wan? Yes. Yes. I almost went to go see it again Saturday morning. Whoa. Uh, but it was sold out by the time I woke up. Uh, I was going to go at 10 and at 9.30 it was sold out. So 9.30 not... in the morning. In the morning. Yeah. It was sold out for the 10 a.m. So I couldn't make it. Yeah. It's a phenomenon. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, Mustachio, what did you do this weekend? Did you do anything TV, film related? Maybe you did paper mache. Yeah. (laughs) So I've been uh, back to Ikea. Love love that place. And so I got some some good stuff to go uh, to put my den together and watch some movies. Your Panther Den? On the new, yeah. It's, it's. (laughs) Your Red Panther. (laughs) <laughs> this is not as stupid as it sounds, but I was watching pa- a different type of panther. I was watching uh, Panther Panchali, a- an Indian film on the Criterion Collection. Of course you were. Yes. 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 <laughs> oh my gosh, it's beautiful. There's a trilogy. It's called the Apu Trilogy. Anyway, so yeah, building Ikea and yeah, watching Deadpool. Amelie is one of my favorites. Uh, watching Amelie is like a regular thing for me. It's right. Re- it's regular. <laughs> Some people on like a, a lazy rainy day pop in Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Some people pop in Gremlins. You know, uh, Gremlins. Some people maybe pop in uh, a Disney film. For Mustachio, it's Amelie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truly. Okay. What did you What did you do, so, JC? I went to the Renaissance Fair uh, this weekend. The Renfest. <laughs> Good for people watching, oh, right? Yeah. Amazing for people watching. <gasps> Oh, I have people watching story. Oh, when, um, <laughs> but after the Ren, so the Ren stuff. So anyway, I was there, uh, saw some uh, jousting. The uh, like as soon as the jousters come out, you know who's gonna win. It's the guy that looks like Patrick Swayze. Did any elves try to pickpocket you? Uh, no, because you weren't there this year. Oh, <laughs> remember that. So I went to the 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 Ren festival one time with Mustachio, and he went. He went full Ren. He had like <laughs> full Ren. He, he had like a glass of bad mead, and he bought he bought an outfit a while tunic. he was there. A tunic. He was throwing axes. He was eating turkey legs. He was uh, sitting up on uh, the Game of Thrones throne. Everything. 
he was on the Game of Thrones throne. It was magical. Um, but <laughs> this is what a lot of people who are there look like. They look like they work at like, you know, Verizon store. And like, this is their weekend of like dressing up and becoming someone else. You're like, in my normal life, I'm just Zach at Verizon. But today, I'm Sir Zacharias. <laughs> I just picture like, like someone, someone trying to call in at the Verizon store, like, and him going, no, I had this on the schedule for two months. You can't do this. No, like just get, you know, you can't do so this to me again, Dan. <laughs> so anyway, I make fun of it, but I do love it. I just don't have the balls to buy all the stuff and go all in. Uh, what was your people watching uh, extravaganza this week? I saw famous people. Famous I, people. I saw famous people in the wild. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the wilds of yes. where? Yes. Um, in the wilds of my favorite bar. And I felt super validated by seeing famous people in there. Um, Robert Irvine, like the chef who has restaurants all around the world, he was there. So he made me feel good about how the burgers are at that place. And he was there with, um, how do I pronounce her name? Eliza Schlesinger, the stand-up comedian. She won Last Comic Standing. She's very, uh, she's funny, they say. I had tickets to see her once and she canceled day of. So I've never seen her in person (laughs) until the bar. (laughs) Did you walk up to her and ask for for your money back? You're like, hey. No, I, uh, I, I left that unmentioned when I saw her. But she had her dog in the bar, which you're not supposed to do. And I was like, oh, she's cool. What could you glean from their body language? Um, they were not with each other. Um, wait, you saw two celebs? No, no, no. Separately at the same place. They were together, but not like together. Mm. Not like that. Like he was with his wife and she was with her guy holding all of her stuff. Um, and they had an entourage. I wouldn't mess with like a chef's entourage because you know they all have the finest of cutlery <laughs> and they know how to use it. Yes. Yeah. And have you seen Robert Irvine? He has guns. Like that's like his whole thing is that he's super big and intimidating. Oh. And uh, he was he was really nice though. He he drank a vodka cranberry. Why didn't you invite them to the Screen Fix Studios? <laughs> <laughs> it it was really late Saturday night. It was like after midnight. That's when you'd get the best response. Anyhow, <laughs> it's time mm-hmm. to move on. Uh, this is a pretty interesting episode that we're gonna have here for you. We're gonna do Black Panther next week. But this week, because of the timing and because we're probably not going to get an episode out before the Oscars actually air, uh, we wanted to go ahead and do this this week for you. We are going to fix all of the Best Picture nominees. We have the audacity. We do. To attempt to fix what are considered the finest films of the year of 2017. Uh Uh-huh. I'm ready. Ballsy. But oh, yeah. we don't we don't shy away from a challenge here. Mm-mm. At Screen Fix, we can fix anything. We can even fix the best. <laughs> so, but first, you know, let's go ahead and do a little bit of uh, movie news that was this week. It was a bit of a light week, bit of a light week, but uh, there's a few things we can chat about real quick. You ready? Sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. So here's something that I just found interesting because of the two connections. So 90s, we remember the 90s. And when you think of the 90s, some of the iconic images, this one actually might come to mind. Kid and Play <laughs> and their film House Party. And of course, House Party 2, the pajama jammy jam. <laughs> um, but anyway, 
Uh, LeBron James is going to, uh, you know, superstar basketball player LeBron James is dipping his his self into the uh, producer guacamole, and uh, he is going to be producing this House Party remake. Uh, no word yet about who's in that, but yeah, mm-hmm. House Party remake. Uh, how do we feel about that, about remaking this kind of like 90s iconic film starring Kid and Play? Martin it Lawrence. Was big, it was like a, yeah, it was a big vehicle for 90 stars at, at yeah. that time. I think it was like Tisha Campbell, mm-hmm. uh, Martin Lawrence. I, f- I feel like it was like Queen Latifah's, one of Queen Latifah's first screen appearances. It was it was a big deal and it was a very popular film. And uh, what do you think? There better be some good flat tops. I mean, <laughs> we're, yeah. Does this remake need to take place in the 90s? Well, I read that LeBron said, this is a quote, this is definitely not a reboot. It's an entirely new look for a classic movie. Yeah. Which, like, I hate to tell LeBron James that that's what a reboot is. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, far be it for me to correct LeBron James on anything. But that's what a reboot is. So I don't know what he has in mind for this. I don't know if he's going to be in it at all. I would be fine with that because he was my favorite character in Trainwreck. So yeah, uh, if he wants to be in it, if he wants a cameo in it, he can do whatever he wants. Like, his, his portion in Trainwreck seems like he's the most level-headed character in the whole film. <laughs> I, I want him to have that level-headedness to his character in the remake, reboot. Yeah. The only way that I would want this would be if it was uh, 90s and we, like, revisited those kind of those uh, 90s styles. You know, you're right, like, the flat tops, a lot of the different fades and things that were really popular mm-hmm. at that time, and a lot of the that- the baggy-style clothing with the, a lot of the, like, uh, loud colors um i think would look so great now in a in a film but uh i don't who knows what he's gonna do with this what he's got planned that lebron james you never know when he's gonna just take over in the fourth quarter and he's got some surprises in store so anyway his (laughs) uh his ex-teammate Kyrie irving who it's pretty much known that they did not get along that well and management shipped Kyrie irving off to the celtics is also coming out in a movie that he's starring in and he's starring in this film called Uncle Drew, mm-hmm. where he is an aging basketball player in terrible age makeup, <laughs> and has cam and with cameos by all kinds of uh, uh, NBA stars and legends, including uh, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Reggie Miller, Chris and Weber. many many others. Yeah. Is this a rivalry on and off the court? <laughs> <laughs> it's like they breathe life Thoughts? into NBA Jam. I mean, it's. <laughs> it looks it looks funny. It, it looks like it's going to hold up. I mean, it's 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 not going to take itself too seriously after seeing that trailer for Uncle Drew. The thing that caught my eye was the the 70s style van that kind of does like a fishtail in it. Uh I was I was raised in a 70s van that looked <laughs> just it, like entirely oh, like you yeah. didn't have a house just the van just the van just the van okay got, got taken to school still smelled like exhaust from the van yeah <laughs> like, it was it was just part of my my the mustachio childhood experience like <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, what are you what are, what are your thoughts lady one so my immediate reaction was how are you going to stretch this into a movie and then yeah. i watched the trailer and uh, it looks really funny and it's got like actual comedic actors. Mm-hmm. It's not it's we're not going to be just constantly staring at Kyrie Irving in bad makeup the whole time. Like Tiffany Haddish is in it. Laurel Howery, Nick Kroll. Like these yeah. people are hilarious. They yeah. are. We've got people who 
get to be like the side character entertainment in a movie and they seem to be kind of running wild with it so yeah, i'm excited yeah. and of course uh howry is uh our favorite the tsa agent yes from get out it's handled who we are going to be talking <laughs> about later um so anyway yeah i mean these two movies at house party there's not a lot of info on that but Un- uncle drew is coming out and uh, yeah it looks like fun they're taking a commercial premise and uh, stretching it out into a film and i think that that's great there's always been great basketball centric commercials where people are playing characters and there's always been talk about them stretching these into movies like there was uh lil penny which was chris rock voicing (laughs) a little doll of uh anferny hardaway and i I remember when that came out that was really uh popular and And they there was all there was always talk about that being a tv show or being a movie and there was uh larry johnson was grandmama uh basically (laughs) an old lady dunking you know and there there was always talk about there being some kind of like uh grandmama movie um, but here they've taken that commercial premise and they've they've blown it up into a film. They've finally done it. So why not? It's about time. Good for Kyrie after being traded to the Celtics. You're grabbing <sighs> life by the bizalls, by the basket bizalls. Kyrie, go for it. Next, speaking of the '90s, uh, who is our? Does anybody remember? 90s and the disaster film renaissance. <laughs> so like Independence uh-huh. Day or something. And who was? <laughs> Who was king of the disaster film renaissance? Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich was <laughs> king of the 90s disaster films. And he, he really liked putting a movie out on the day of. I mean, Independence Day, what a release date. <laughs> ID4. <laughs> what a release date. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he inspired the late great Gary Marshall to do that too. <laughs> should have. Uh, no. <laughs> No, just no. You know, of course, uh, uh, Roland is behind Independence Day, The Day After Tomorrow. I mean, pretty much every, you know, apocalyptic style film. Yes, he loved blowing up monuments. Um, <laughs> right. He tried oh, to like... 2012? Yeah, oh, he tried gosh. to mini come back with uh, 2012, and I don't think that did well enough. But mm-hmm. he's back, and he's back with this strange movie about someone being shipwrecked and having to survive being captured by the Mayans. Oh. Is he going indie? <laughs> is he going is he going small disasters now? Like is this his version of indie? Yeah, with this, I mean, he could so easily fall into the production, you know, of another movie that just has no good plot to it, no depth of characters. I mean, if we're going to get more 2012s or more, I don't know, say Godzilla's. Like it's, it seems like it needs to have some weight to it. It seems, it seems like this person's gonna have like a Stockholm syndrome where they now become part of this, you know, Mayan culture, in order to not be a prisoner anymore. I want that to have weight to it. I want that to have life. I'm gonna sell you on this movie yeah. right now, oh, please. Because I was very against it. Because I was like, this guy just makes big, dumb, stupid movies. Yeah. This sounds awful. Because this is based on a true story and that's like messed up that we're going to let this dude just like blow some stuff up and ruin her true story. And then I remembered that he made Stargate. <gasps> yeah. He? So this is the story of two characters who 
come across the the Mayan civilization, one of whom is trying to be cool with them and learn their way of life and get along, and the other who's really not okay with it. So I'm seeing Kurt Russell, I'm seeing James Bader, <laughs> and I'm seeing Stargate all over again, and I think this has a chance. Okay. Is this Stargate in Mexico? El Stargate? <laughs> that was terrible. Is El Stargate, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. I think Roland Emmerich cannot resist crumbling to the ground and toppling at least one Mayan pyramid. Yeah, I believe that. I'm calling it now. At one point, this guy escapes by causing a temple to collapse. Oh, yeah. He's going to like take Tehotihuacan to the ground. Yeah, so we're going to see like thousands of temples fall in one big plunge. (laughs) Because he can't resist destroying monuments you heard it here you heard it on screen fix it will come to be let's let's go backwards we've been talking about 90s things let's jump back to the 80s real quick 80s okay and one of the seminal films in my life boom 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 have you seen the trailer for cobra kai it's got ralph macchio our original karate kid and and william zabka our Johnny. <laughs> John, uh, Johnny doesn't like his life for some reason, and he's going back in. He's going back in for another round. He's opening back up the Cobra Kai dojo, and Daniel Sun wants none of it. <laughs> he says, don't do this. Why would you want to bring back Cobra Kai? What did you think? Um, what I'm wondering is, What's what's going to be the buildup? I mean, so in the trailer, you're going to see Ralph Macchio and William Zabka stand in a room together for the first time in, what, 30 years? And you're wondering, why is this happening? Because, you know, they already established 30 years ago, it was a, it was a karate tournament. And there was one established winner. And then they went on to make several more movies that, you know, didn't really involve the same thing. But... What's the buildup? Why would we want to see them fighting each other again as, you know, old dads? Like, what's up with that? Yeah. Because nostalgia <laughs> is hot right now, Craig. Is it? Yeah. What What do you mean, is it? Yeah. All right. It's, <laughs> like, it's dope. <laughs> everything that has already existed is back for more. Roseanne is on TV right now. Man. Everything is coming back. Man. Will and Grace is back. It's, it's all, I mean... They're re- remaking House Party, like we talked about. Everything is coming back. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's, so I just don't want this to be something that's just kind of like back in that back in the heyday of '80s films. They had a rivalry. I guess. I guess I have more expectations for it than I think I would. I don't. I don't know which one I'm rooting for more. Well, there will be actual kids in it. It's not only going to be two okay, old dudes. Good, good. They will. They will be training young people. The youths will be in it. They can't possibly make. Uh, YouTube series. <laughs> I think it's on YouTube Red. I think is where it oh, where okay. it is. Uh, they can't make that just starring like two old dudes because yeah, yeah. uh, that's not where the old people are watching their TV. So <laughs> yeah. there's definitely uh, young people in this. It's mostly like teenagers okay. uh, who are be who will be training and fighting. I don't know how long this series is. I don't know if it's like a limited run and like they're doing 12 episodes and that's it and it's like a mini series or if it's just going to be on for as long as they can make it interesting. I don't know that yet, but um, yeah, that, that trailer that we saw, 
was definitely to appeal to like our age group yeah of if we're willing to watch this yeah and uh i'm sure there's an entirely different presentation for the kids to watch that show (laughs) so we'll see what is it about 80s movies where the like the character that you don't like the bully type they were always had this like nice beautiful blonde hair I mean, you get like, you get like William. Because you were always against uh, preppies. Oh, you were always against like so. jerk rich rich kids. William Zabka was like our guy for hating him in Karate Kid, also in just one of the guys. I mean, the... the ch- Zabka is the like him and the guy who plays the EPA guy in Ghostbusters. I feel like him... <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like him... For like the older crowd and Zabka for the younger crowd, those are your quintessential '80s bad guys. Yeah, the Chaz from Back to School. In the '80s, you know, bad guys could be just like a preppy white guy who's a jerk, mm-hmm. or it could be like a guy that works at the EPA, <laughs> like like a guy that the guy that just wants to protect the environment <laughs> is the bad is the bad guy. Yeah. He just doesn't want people in, freelancing, in, shooting lasers around New York City. In Ghostbusters, yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, also, what's what's funny, though, about this sequel is, like, when you go back and you watch uh, Karate Kid 1, um, Johnny doesn't want to sweep his leg. Yeah, he, he's like, what? And there's like, he's like, sweep the leg. And he's like, whoa, because uh, he's already got the one leg busted. And But, of course... The 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 very famous you know very famously the kid behind him is like yeah put him in a body bag <laughs> like the, <laughs> that kid that's yes. in the back but but Johnny himself seems to have like a small moral uh, quandary about sweeping the leg of course he gets his nose kicked in but um, then at the end of that move uh, at the very beginning of Karate Kid two I don't know if you guys remember this. There's a scene, uh, Karate Kid 2 starts right where Karate Kid 1 ended. And in Karate Kid 2, you know, Johnny's out there and he's got his like second place trophy or whatever. And the leader of the Cobra Kai dojo comes out and breaks his trophy and essentially calls him like a loser for not winning. And Mr. Miyagi has to come out and essentially like intervene on behalf of, of Johnny and makes the Cobra Kai leader guy, I forget his name. I, um, anyway, um, you know, makes him punch in two windows, you know, uh, punch his fist through two windows before he falls down on the ground. And then Mr. Miyagi reels his hand back to punch him in the, in the face. And he's like, show no mercy, mercy for the weak. And then he goes in like, he's going to punch him in the face and just goes, and honks him on the nose and it's this great moment but right then I feel like you know Johnny should be changed you know so I I really need to see how he could have changed and how his life would have spiraled so much that he's deciding to revive this dojo that is that made him do some morally reprehensible things and actually turned on him as well that's my hot take on on that but i do want to see daniel san fight johnny again oh my god do i <laughs> and i want no. to oh, they're gonna <laughs> deliver on <laughs> that you might have to wait and i want them to brawl none of this crane nonsense <laughs> you want them to just 
go all out. I want him to bring the pain, not the crane. Last nugget here. Um, so Star Wars Episode Nine, the one, the J.J. Abrams one, they have hired the Blade Runner art director. Yeah, Paul Inglis. What does that do for you as far as Episode Nine? Uh, are they trying to go with more of a, a deep, richer sci-fi look? Yeah, something more realistic, something haunting. Yeah, it, se- it seems like they could go in that direction. There's not much you could do that would stop me from seeing this movie the day it comes out when it's happening. I'm already, as indicated by last episode, furious at the concept of J.J. Abrams, and he's got this one back again. But, I mean, this guy's good. He did Blade Runner 2049. He did Skyfall. And he did a ton of other stuff that I probably haven't seen. But I saw those two. So those are the ones I'm saying. And the visuals in those are so memorable um they just it looks so great and i'm glad to see that they've got somebody who has a clear direction and style and mm-hmm. that it's not based on lens flare so it's cool yes thank you yes it's low blow i like it coming for you jj <laughs> lady one <laughs> now had you seen jj at your favorite bar Oh, I mean, I would have been, like, Snapchatting him across the room. Yeah, it would have happened. I I thought you hate him. I do, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to tell the world that I saw him. Send him a round of shooters called Solar Flares. (laughs) Oh, it's, yeah. Um, The lady across the room bought you some shots. (laughs) They're called the Solar Flare. She bought you 30 of them. I love it. I love it. Oh, good jokes, good times. And guess what? It is now time for us to do the audacious, do the impossible, provide at least one fix for every Oscar nominee for Best Academy Awards. Best Picture nominees. We're going to fix them. Let's fix them. Let's go ahead and jump into our first one. What I think is the front runner, but front runner doesn't always win. I was pretty sure La La Land was going to win. So was Warren Beatty. I was pretty. So. (laughs) 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 I was pretty sure that Birdman was going to win the year that Spotlight took it. Mm. So who knows? But anyway, here we are. Shape of Water. <laughs> You've had that drink I was ready, ready for that. All night. <laughs> so anyway, briefly, Shape of Water is the story of a deaf woman who basically works at this lab where they're keeping this fish creature, and she falls in love with the fish creature, and she breaks the fish creature out. That's it. So, without getting into too many, too many details about the plot, because we just don't have the time to go into. Not how many, how many, nine. How many nominees, right? So we don't have really too much time to get into nine plots, but hopefully everyone's a little bit familiar with each of these films. But Shape of Water, I loved this film. It was my pick for best film of 2017. I think this movie is fantastic, but are there any ways that we can fix this? Does anyone have a fix for Shape of Water? <laughs> this, this, okay. This, this, yeah. Okay. That was okay. my cue. Mustachio. 
the, the, the grand water entrance. I would <laughs> I would want to see more water. <laughs> um, I would want to see less of Michael Shannon's villain <laughs> character having like this 50s era by family kind of story. Less of his because we already understand him to be a villain. We already understand him to be part of this thing that's going to be terrible and that he's the front runner for it. So I would want to see more of Eliza's character, more scenes in which she has with a beautiful manfish. I would want to see more stuff that just shows the vibrancy of this movie and, and not just that this Cold War-esque sub fight going on. I think that's a, a great fix. Like, did we need to see his wife whipping her titty out and them having <laughs> that's sex? Right. The, like the titty came out. That's right. The titty. <laughs> I mean... Did we need to see that? Like, I hate to be crass about it, but that scene was crass. Yeah, that was like a really unnecessary diversion. Yeah, there was was shape to it, but no water. (laughs) So my fix kind of goes along with that. So take out some of the scenes of him at home, right? And add in some Octavia Spencer. Octavia Spencer Mm -hmm. is an Oscar winner, and you have this Oscar-winning actress who is just kind of a bit player in this film. I think to give her a bit more uh, weight in the story, rather than just being kind of like a sidekick ally, I I figure why not make her another antagonist, somebody who does understand her sign language, but does tip off Michael Shannon that she might be doing things and she might be doing things that she shouldn't be doing, just making her an adversary character and finally at the end maybe maybe save the sign language speech about where eliza is telling her i'm like him i'm deaf people don't like me people don't see me maybe save that that speech for the end and then octavia spencer goes home and realizes her husband doesn't see her and that's when it all clicks about why Eliza's doing this. And instead of working against her, that's when she calls and warns her and she works with her. That's her character flip. That would give her character more growth. Yeah. That said, Shape was an outstanding film. (laughs) Water, water, water. Great movie. Our next (laughs) film is Darkest Hour, which is the Winston Churchill, played by Gary Oldman in fantastic aging fat man <laughs> prosthetic and makeup. It is him being appointed the prime minister in this time of war, and there are forces working against him, but he ends up being the right man for the job. And of course, you go through a number of his famous speeches, as well as you get the famous rescue and retreat at Dunkirk, Mm -hmm. or Operation Dynamo. Dynamo. First of all, there's a lot of things in this. If you go back, and if you were to watch the film, and then you were to go back and watch clips of his actual addresses, you would be taken aback, because, of course, Gary Oldman is giving a, a performance like and we will fight them on the landing grounds and everybody's going yay harumph 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 uh, <laughs> did I get a harumph out of that guy? <laughs> yeah harumph 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 <laughs> in real life of course he spoke more like the old you know, drunkard that he was yeah. you know, his uh, his, spe- his real speech is like we will fight on the yeah, beaches yeah. Poor drone. we will fight on the landing ground save the crust for the krauts 
Does he say that? No, but something he did say was, you can always count on Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's a real line. <laughs> Thank you. He really was gifted with the turn of phrase. Yeah, he was. So his makeup looked really good. He looked a little bit, he had a little bit of like Admiral Akbar mouth, but <laughs> other than that, the skin, his turkey neck moved very realistically. Oh, and nice. I think it's good prosthetic work. Yeah. I feel like in these like movies, there's a lot of problems with old, old neck. And I feel like <laughs> these people should win the makeup Oscar alone <laughs> for making his old frog throat bag <laughs> look so realistic. They should win for Churchill's Gobbler. His, his hands, toad hands down. If I was going to change anything in this movie, it's I feel like they could have went really dark with Winston Churchill a bit more. My fix for Darkest Hour, Lily James is in it. Uh, she's not in it much, and she's mostly just there to show you that he's kind of a bastard. But then he's like nice to her later. That's kind of how it how it is. They, there's a couple establishing shots of him early on. They're like, he's grumpy. And then, of course, in the very next scene, she goes up, makes a small mistake, and he's screaming at her. But that's pretty much it. He's not so bad and i feel like they could have really played up he should have maybe have been more of a bastard <laughs> they kind of made him out at the very end to be like he's a man of the people look at him talking to a couple people on the subway they never show him too hammered though and i'm sure he was like a functioning alcoholic but i would have liked to have seen him a little bit more hammered so my fix is more of an overall fix which would be to instead of introducing him as kind of a bastard in the very beginning and then kind of going away from that i would have made him pretty terrible throughout the whole thing i would have made him more of an anti-hero kind of the guy we need but we only need right now mm -hmm. right and that's my fix for darkest hour our next film goes right along with darkest hour because darkest hour goes right up through operation dynamo dunkirk is about Operation Dynamo. It is told in three separate timelines that take place over different actual expanses of time. And it is the story of the evacuation of British troops from the shores of Dunkirk with the help of some commandeered, in real life, they are commandeered civilian vessels by servicemen. But in the movie, they make it seem like it's more like the ship, a the bunch ship of, uh, yeah, like it's all just civilians. Yeah. Do you have any fixes for this? Dreadfully sorry, sir. I loved this film. I guess what you're saying is like, you don't feel like you felt the immensity yes. of the undertaking there we go. thank you that's a very good way of putting it so my fix for dunkirk is very very oh. simple it takes place in three timelines that you jump back and forth to in very different expanses of time the first storyline you're seeing timeline takes place in the course of one week the second one takes place in the course of one day and the next one takes place in the course of one hour the problem with that is is if you don't read about this film before you go in you're extremely confused. And the problem is, is instead of naming the three parts, one week, one day, one hour, yeah, yeah, yeah. he names them the mole, the mm -hmm. sea, the air. And I thought that did a slight disservice to the movie. So I thought my fix would be to, to call each segment a little bit more of what it is. I, I would have liked to just say the mole, one week, the sea, 
one day, the air, one hour. And that would have helped everyone in the damn theater. That's my fix. The next one that we're going to attempt to fix here is Phantom Thread. You've heard a lot from Mustachio. You've heard a lot from JC. You're just going to hear from Lady One here because only <laughs> Lady One had the guts, the fortitude, the dedication to subject herself <laughs> to Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. Yeah, I was truly alone in my viewing experience. I was the <laughs> only person in the theater. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Completely alone with no one else to give WTF hands at <laughs> across the room. Like, what is happening? I was a challenging viewing experience. I will briefly explain what the movie is. So this is Daniel T. Lewis's last movie, allegedly. I don't believe that for a second. Um, he plays a women's fashion designer, Reynolds Woodcock. Yep, that's his name. And this is happening in post-war London. And we're like early 50s uh, London. He's a very high fashion designer. He does gowns for movie stars, royalty, and the like. Just the rich ladies. And he's a very particular gentleman. He likes everything just so. He is basically alone in his life. He's there with his sister. He lives in the house where they do all the designing. And his sister is his only constant companion. He seems to have a girlfriend for a little while. And then he gets rid of them when he's bored. And that's what we know of him. And this is the story of this one particular woman who he falls in love with and their relationship. And obviously, we're going to have lots of spoilers in this section. Their relationship is complicated and she poisons him, but it's not that interesting. Like when I tell you that she poisons him and it's boring... <laughs> Trust me. So she poisons him to basically bring him down a peg or two and then nurses him back to health to show that she has value in their relationship. Like, mm. I will take care of you. You will need me. You will see how much I love you because I am holding you over the toilet and changing your clothes and with you all night and nobody else is and I am here for you. But she's the one who poisons him. And in the end, he knows that and he's totally fine with it. And it's like romantic. It's awful. In my personal opinion, there's not a lot of other opinions out there like mine. Most people think this movie is amazing and beautiful and incredible and an experience. And it's certainly beautiful, but so are screensavers. <laughs> That doesn't mean I want to watch them for two hours. This movie is over two hours long and it is incredibly well acted. Obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis like goes bananas every time. But the female character in the movie is actually, I thought she was way better than him. And that says something. So the performance is great. But if I wanted to watch two people who clearly hate each other continue to be in a relationship, I would just watch Bravo. Like, I would watch Tom and Katie or Jackson Brittany on Vanderpump Rules. Like, I would rather watch them hate each other but continue to be together. That's more fun for me. So, if, if you loved Phantom Thread, you will not like my fix. And that's fine. My fix is just a way for me to make this movie somewhat watchable. So, I would like her to poison him earlier and more often. <laughs> and I would like us... I would like us to see him at the start of the third act. Now we know he's in on it. So we can spend more time in this truly bizarre relationship. Instead, we really get it in the last scene where he's like looking at her as she's making his poison mushroom omelet. And he's just just so excited to eat it. And she's like, I want you flat on your back. Like, it's just weird. And 
I want to spend more time in that because that was the only time that I was really interested in watching these two psychos with each other. So that's my fix for that movie is the one interesting thing that happened, do it more and start it earlier and let's just dive into that crazy. Sometimes it services a film to stay in the best act rather than drag out two acts that are just not compelling. Probably a lot of films can be better served by taking the most compelling act and breaking that up into three acts rather than literally making somebody suffer alone in a theater in the dark. <laughs> that actually sounds like yeah. a cool movie where like very <laughs> early on he finds out that he's being poisoned and he's cool with it. That <laughs> that sounds awesome. I, I yeah. think that's a, what an awesome idea. It's such a great idea. Yeah. All right. Next movie. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I did see this. I know... Mustachio saw this. I definitely have fixes for this, and they're doozies. But well, th this movie to give you a brief. Uh, there's a woman played by Frances McDormand whose daughter was found uh, raped and murdered, and this small town uh, sheriff's department has not solved this case yet. So she puts up three billboards, basically calling out the sheriff. And that sheriff eventually commits suicide. And there's a racist sheriff who goes off the deep end, but then at the end ends up helping her go kill someone that they think might be the killer, might not be the killer. I mean, that's it. Like, that's the... <laughs> That's that's the morally ambiguous story. I'll fix this. What do this. you think, JC? Here we go. This film is made by Martin McDonough. He has British and Irish citizenship. He's a pretty well-known Irish playwright. There is no Ebbing, Missouri. He got the idea for this after seeing a billboard while he was going on a trip across. He was driving somewhere way out in a car, and he came across this billboard that said something about a sheriff or something. But Ebbing, Missouri is not real. This is not real. And my, my biggest issue is that this is an outsider's take on America and on small-town America and on racism in this country. The story, at its heart is a mother who feels the incompetency of a sheriff's office and wants to hold them accountable for the fact that they haven't solved the rape murder of her child. Now, if this story had been more, if there was more of a racial element to it, to this story, I understand a lot of the racism, a lot of the racist characters, and a lot of the bigotry going on. What I don't want is a story where the racism is not serving a purpose beyond this outsider's critique on the state of racism in small town America. And my fix for this film, if there is one, is to take that out. And you would still have a solid story, really well acted, and probably still n nominated for things. Next, one that we all love, Get Out. I feel like we need to hear from her, the lady one, Get Out. How do you fix this? If there is a fix, <laughs> This movie's so good. This movie is perfect. It is It is completely perfect. It feels weird to explain the plot for this movie because it came out so long ago, but I guess I kind of got to give it like a little quickie. It is the story of a white girl taking her black boyfriend home to meet her super progressive white parents. And we see her telling him that it's the first time she's ever dated a black guy. She didn't tell them he's black because they're like beyond that. It shouldn't even be a thing. 
And then things start getting weird, and it's really hard to sort of explain the whole thing. But this is actually a horror movie. This isn't meeting your girlfriend's parents, and it's awkward and, like, meet the parents style. This is a straight-up horror movie. Well, I guess a thriller, not so much a horror movie. And they're kidnapping people. They're kidnapping black people and inserting old white people's Yes. Like the seeds of old white people doing brain transplants almost. The black person gets kind of pushed way down into the subconscious, way down far where it can't get out. They're just a passenger in their own body from that point on, and the white person's consciousness takes over. And it's super crazy and bizarre, and I hope that nobody who hasn't seen this movie heard that because you should just go watch that movie instead. It's it's great. I swear it's perfect, but... I really forced myself today to nitpick and to find one thing that I would change. So I have one small thing. There is a scene in the movie where the parents are having a party. So we're to understand that it's though it's the party they have every year. It's always this date. But what's actually happening is they are bidding on the boyfriend and they are bidding to see who will get to buy him. And during the daytime activity of just kind of chatting, there's nothing but old white people at this party. But there is one black guy who we have seen at the beginning of the movie get kidnapped. And our main character, Chris, recognizes him and is like, oh, man, I'm glad I'm not the only black guy here. What's up? And they start talking. And then it's weird. He's behaving weird. And he takes a picture of him on his phone. It makes him wig out. And we find out the stuff is is going awry. That's our first real crazy indication that something's gone nuts. So I would prefer for the sake of the story if we see a couple of other black people at the party who he doesn't know. And then later in the story, we see the pictures of all the various boyfriends that the girl has been bringing home to run this game. And we never see them. We don't know where they've gone. We know they've been kidnapped and assume the procedure has happened to them and they've been auctioned off by these other people here. But why aren't they there? So it would have been kind of a, a callback to see those faces again instead of just their info, the photos in the box if he recognizes them from the party. Again, super nitpicking. This doesn't need to happen. But if I'm trying to fix this movie, I guess that's one thing I could oh, that's change. that's great. Like, you're right. Like, when, like, later when the boyfriend finds the box of pictures of her past guys that she's brought, mm-hmm. he flips through, like, 25 photos. That's a lot. Where are all these guys? So, yeah, you're right. Valid fix for Get Out. Our next film, The Post, is fine. Yet, here it is. We find it in our best picture area. Anytime Steven Spielberg Mm -hmm. makes a prestige picture, it ends up in the best picture nominees. And I know why. There's a conspiracy. I'm going to tell you right now. So, you earn an Oscar. And when you earn an Oscar, you can't sell it. You're not allowed to sell it. I mean, you can hand it down to someone if you pass away, whatever. But you can't sell it because when you get an Oscar, if you do want to sell it, you have to, and this is in their like official language, you have to offer it back to the Academy for $1. Yeah. So the reason why I think his films are constantly nominated is because he is a bit of a suck up. When Clark Gable's statuette for It Happened One Night ended up at an auction, he bought it for $600,000 over that. And guess what he did with it? He gave it back to the Mm -hmm. Academy. Then (laughs) 
when Betty Davis's uh, statuette for Jezebel from 1938 popped up at an auction, he bought it for $580,000 and gave it back to the Academy. So I think there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of teacher's pet going on right there. There's like a little bit of bringing the teacher an apple. And I think that's why his films mm-hmm. are always, whenever he makes a more of a uh, prestige picture, that's why that they end up on here. And I feel like the post might be just that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I have given anybody who wanted to know my one sentence review of this movie, mm-hmm. which is great story, good movie. Like it's good. It's fine. What's your fix, Lady One? (laughs) Okay, well, I guess I have to explain what this movie is about. So this is the story of the Washington Post at the time of the paper going public when they also happen to have gotten their hands on the Pentagon Papers. And the New York Times has been shut down for publishing what's in the Pentagon Papers, which is a report from the Department of Defense about the Vietnam War. It spans, I want to say it's like 40 years Uh, It's a really, really long time of just the United States government lying to literally everyone about the progress of the war. And the New York Times gets their hands on the papers. They develop all these stories. They get shut down by the government for giving out state secrets. And the Washington Post has the opportunity to either publish them as well and risk the company failing because they're about to go public or sitting on them and just letting that story go quiet. And that is the whole movie is what are they going to do? And they decide to go public with them. And the story, realistically, in history, this is about the New York Times. Like, the New York Times put this story out there. The Washington Post was only even able to publish it after the New York Times did so. And after they already got taken to court. And they had been building their story and building their case for the Supreme Court for months. And the Washington Post kind of rushed into it in a weekend. So... I think it would have been a more compelling story to not only tell the story of what the Washington Post was doing on their side of it, but to also what what the hell was going on at the New York Times? Like we only got one brief moment at the New York Times office to see what madness was going on there. And I think if you had told both sides, both the Times and the Post, you could talk about those two different groups and what they were dealing with. And then you could have kept the original name for this movie which is the Pentagon Papers. And then papers has a double meaning because it also means the newspapers. And I think that would have been better. (laughs) It's perfect. Yeah, that is awesome. And if I have any fix, and what's funny is your fix adds characters. (laughs) My fix was that these newspaper (laughs) movies always have too many characters. And I thought that You know, while I love David Cross and while I love Bradley Whitford and Bob Odenkirk, they're all being wasted in this movie because these movies have too many characters. You know what? Maybe take those characters out and replace them with the New York Times characters. Now we've got him. That's it. Take Bob Odenkirk. Make him work for the Times. Take David Cross. Make him work for the Times. Now we're talking. Let's do it. We have fixed the post. You you didn't think we could. The next Oscar-nominated film is Call Me By Your Name. So Call Me By Your Name is the story of a teenage, like high school age boy who lives with his family in a villa in Italy. And his father is some kind of uh, college professor 
and he's going to have a doctoral student there for the summer. And the doctoral student and Oliver have a summer love affair. The doctoral student is Oliver, and the young one is Elio. Elio is also American, so it's not like uh, an Italian boy and an American. But they have a love affair. They are off again, and then on again, and then off again, and then on again. Uh, Meanwhile, he explores sexuality with the older uh, Oliver. He also explores a little bit of sexuality with a girl. And then uh, Oliver leaves, and Oliver ends up getting married and having kids and elio is just a 17 year old bisexual boy i guess that's uh that's the story i have a few fixes first of all this movie takes place in 1983 and they they make sure to show you that through the like title font like this neon kind of thing there's also a scene where like they're kind of dancing to some 80s music but other than that, there's nothing else that's 80s in this movie. The story felt like it literally could have been from any time period. So one of one of my, my first fix is actually to make it feel much more 80s. You know, maybe that was what Italy was like in the 80s. But if you're going to set something in the 80s and make your even your titles overtly neon 80s, I'm expecting to be immersed in 80s. Maybe they would have bonded because they're both more fish out of water American 80s, and maybe Italy around them is more old, you know, stuck a couple decades in the past. Also, okay, so if this is supposed to be 1983, I thought that the sexual uh, awakening part of it you find out that the father knew and was okay with it but you don't find out until way way the end after oliver's already gone i would have liked to have seen some conflict some more stakes to their relationship i mean this is the 80s you know maybe it was more free in italy at that time i don't know so that's my fix for that that movie uh mostly just has to do with the time period our last film here is one that i I doubt lady one will even try no, no, I I used up all of my force fix on Get Out and I ran out of steam and I just don't see anything that I could change about Lady Bird. I love Lady Bird. There is Lady Bird and Lady Wan feels like Lady Bird is about her and she's not going <laughs> to fix herself. I mean, mm-hmm. no, yep, yep. so no. <laughs> <laughs> Mustachio, do you have any fixes for Lady Bird? I'm standing with Lady One. This movie was perfect. Uh, there's nothing to fix there because I feel like it really even wasn't like a movie at all. It didn't really make me feel like I was watching something that this is fictional. It felt so real. Mm-hmm. It felt like this is the life that she is living at this time. I mean, Laurie Metcalf deserves so much more attention and praise for her role mm-hmm. as the mother, how she wants to raise Lady Bird to be someone who can get out on her own and and live the life that she probably wanted to. So no, this movie did feel like a movie. It felt like an experience. And who am I to try to change something that beautiful? Yeah. I guess the only thing that I would fix is in the film she never explains why she calls herself Lady Bird. And I think if you're going to title your film and have the main character call themselves Lady Bird, that at some point you should find out where that came from. I'll accept that. The explanation for why she calls herself Ladybird is in a letter she writes to her mother when she gets to college. I feel like the explanation of why she calls herself Ladybird could have been a nice bow on the end of this movie. So yes, my fix is writing a letter to her mother explaining 
Lady Bird in the letter and then going to class and in her class not calling herself Lady Bird but her full name. And I think that is my only fix for Lady Bird. Have we done the impossible? Have we provided at least one fix for all of the Best Picture nominees? And are we hyped up for this event? Are you going to be watching the Academy Awards, Lady One? Hell yes! Are you going to be Facebook living? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mustachio, are you watching the Academy Awards? Oh, yeah. Uh, with a little bit of sadness because I want to be at an Oscars party. I want to be putting together some dishes that have punny names. JC and Mustachio threw an epic Oscar party. It was fantastic. We had the pick'em game going and puntastic dishes. Uh, this year, give me one puntastic dish that has to do with either one of the nominees, with one of the actor nominees, or with one of the best pictures. Go, Mustachio. All right, here's mine. <clears throat> Three cheese boards over <laughs> Ebbing, Missouri. I like it. Okay. What do you have, Lady One? I just, I was looking at the shape of water and I could only picture just various jello molds. I have one. A jello mold, and this one's called the shape of watermelon. <laughs> turned into drinks too all right i got i got one all right go for it this is gonna be the pepperoni pizza post with the darkest flower <laughs> no that was terrible <laughs> oh you you've already touched on this before but i'll say it again like the straight out of cocktail was great so good we did like Mad Max Rocky Road or something. Anyway, we will be posting on our Twitter various puntastic dishes for you to use at your Oscars party. Oh, be yeah. on the lookout. Yes. And we have done the impossible. We have fixed all of this year's Best Picture nominees. We've made the better picture nominees. Mm-hmm. They thought they were the best. Anyway, consider all of the Oscar films screen fixed. Send us home, Lady One. <laughs> so please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Screen Fix Pod is the name there. You can search for us on Facebook, Screen Fix Podcast. You can email us at screenfixpod at gmail.com. You can find our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Libsyn, Spotify, all the fun places. And please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening. We appreciate it. Awesome. We also have a Patreon account, and that's where you can donate to the show to keep us going. You can also contribute to our dreams of opening a one-screen theater to be the home of podcasting and film festivals and indie films and the like. And that's it. Consider the Oscars fixed. <laughs> Do your bubbles. Do your bubbles.